It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, May 31st, 2012. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Don't, don't get choked up about it, Jacob. It's well, okay. it's a pretty emotional time for me to be tonight. <laughs> We're glad to be here. Always look forward to our Bible studies on Thursday night, the virtual Bible study. Yes, we do. You look like you've been in a fight. Yeah, I got a hold of something, some poison ivy uh, on Monday, and it's uh, in my face. It's not yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, you look like it. So. Well, hey, you know, and my microphone's not turned on there. That's why, that's why I said No, that. I changed those wires. You changed it all around. Check, well, somebody else did, but check. Check up there. Oh, you may, yeah, I'm all messed up. You may want to change. I changed that wire, right? Okay, the second right, one. Yeah, I'll fix it. Go ahead. All right. Tonight we're going to talk about something that's been in the news this week. Uh, I think I, oh, that's better. You got it? Yeah, I got it. You're good. Okay. We're going to talk about something that's been in the news this week. You may have seen it. It, it has to do with a snake handling preacher in West Virginia who died on Sunday of this week after having been bitten by a snake. Got the story from the Washington Post, and I'm not going to read it all. I'll put a link to it in our update that we sent out earlier today. But here's just the gist of what the article says about what happened on Sunday. He says, Mac Walford, a flamboyant Pentecostal pastor from West Virginia. we got his picture there, Jeff. You may show it. Jeff's running the board tonight. Uh, it says he had hoped the outdoor service he had planned for Sunday at an isolated state park would be a homecoming like the old days, full of folks speaking in tongues, handling snakes, and having a great time. But it was not the sort of homecoming he foresaw. Instead, Walford, who turned 44 the previous day, was bitten by a rattlesnake he owned for years. He died late Sunday. Walford was known all over Appalachia as a daring man of conviction. He believed the Bible mandates that Christians handle serpents to test their faith in God and that if they are bitten, they trust in God alone to heal them. He and other adherents cite Mark 16, 17, and 18. We're going to study that passage tonight, Jacob. Uh, he says that he was the son of a serpent handler who himself died in 1983 after being bitten. Walford was trying to keep the practice alive both in West Virginia where it's legal and in neighboring states where it's not. Last Sunday started as a festive outdoor service on a Sunday afternoon at Panther Wildlife Management Area State Park, roughly 80 miles west of Bluefield, West Virginia. In the preceding days, Walford had posted several teasers on his Facebook page asking people to attend. I'm looking for a great time this Sunday, he wrote. It's going to be a homecoming like the good old days. Good old uh, raised in the holler, mountain ridge running, Holy Ghost filled, speaking in tongues, uh, and so forth. Um, he says, praise the Lord and pass the rattlesnake, he wrote on May 23rd. About 30 minutes into the service, his sister said that Walford passed a yellow timber rattler to a church member and his mother. He laid it on the ground, and he sat down next to the snake, and it bit him on the thigh. The festivities came to a halt shortly thereafter, and Walford was taken back to a relative's house to recover. He always had recovered when suffering from previous snake bites, but by late afternoon it was clear this time was different, and desperate messages began to fly about asking for prayers. Walford got progressively worse. Uh, paramedics transported him to Bluefield Regional Medical Center, where he's pronounced dead. He was 15 years old when he saw his father die at age 39 of a rattlesnake bite in almost exactly the same circumstances. Yeah. Well, uh, this may be an understatement of the night. He w- it says he was a daring man. I I agree with that. Yeah. So that's the story that's been in the news this week, and that's what we want to talk about. Uh, And we sent out questions earlier today to our update list. We gave you that link, but we asked these questions, looking for your feedback. If you've not emailed us, you can get in the chat room right now and give us some responses. We're going to talk about them in this order. Number one, why do some Pentecostal churches believe in and practice snake handling? Does the Bible ever speak of such things? If so, where? And are these Pentecostals correctly interpreting the scriptures when they do this today? So that's question number one. Okay. Number two, does the Holy Spirit empower men to perform miracles today? If your answer is yes, give examples and proof. If your answer is no, give biblical proof. 
And number three, for those who believe that men do not perform miracles today, why do you still pray to God? Sometimes we get that question. If you don't believe that God's doing miracles or that men can perform miracles of healing, for instance, why are you praying to God? So those are the questions we're going to try to answer. Uh, the study that we're going to have basically is about the miraculous signs of the Holy Spirit. But we're going to we're going to concentrate on this snake handling thing to start with. The number to call is nine eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. That's toll free. We look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. And uh, the email is questions at collegeview dot com. And the chat room is uh, live to the right of your viewing window if you're watching us in the live feed tonight. And uh, Guest 191 is in the chat room and has never even heard of people doing this. I well, take it that uh, Guest 191 is not from uh, West well, Virginia or West, East Tennessee. Yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's sort of a regionalized uh, uh, phenomenon, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. And we had a, a an email from Daniel in Pennsylvania who said, I'll be listening. I've never heard of this. And I yeah. thought there might be several who had never heard of this. Uh, our friend Chris in in uh Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, had sent a link, and so we're going to put it up, a YouTube video showing this same group. It is this exact same group in West Virginia in a snake handling service. It's about a two-minute long video. I think they have a good time. I've been to Pentecostal meetings several times. I've been to debates with Pentecostals. I've seen them speak in tongues and so forth as they claim, but I've never been to one, and very few people ever have who have seen them handle snakes. And so this and, video may be somewhat instructional. And uh, the preacher who died, uh, speaking of the meeting he was going to have, he says, I'm looking for a great time this Sunday. It's going to be a homecoming like the old days, good old raised in the holler, or mountain ridge running, Holy Ghost filled, speaking in tongues, sign believers. Uh, it's He was really yeah hyped up about it. Yeah. All right, so let's play this video. Jeff, if you can play this video, for those of you who have never heard of this, or for all of us who've never personally been there to see it happen, my guess is there's not anybody listening tonight who's ever seen this in person. Here's a video from YouTube showing this same group in West Virginia handling snakes in a religious service. Okay, let's go. This is Jolo, a hard place to find. Winding mountain roads are the only way in. Visitors are rare, but for those who do come, it's an unforgettable experience. Fifty of the faithful gather for Sunday service. It's filled with loud music, lots of dancing. You might expect that. What might surprise you are the copperheads and rattlers. They are part of the Pentecostal church, but the faithfuls here know the world outside may not understand, may not approve, may even hold them up for ridicule. If when you take that serpent, it conquers you, and he can't bite you. He can only do what God allows him to do. Whatever people may think, there is no denying this is high-energy religion. Snakes pass from hand to hand. Elders speak in new tongues, and the dancing doesn't stop. The celebration of their belief in God is compelling to watch. But for the followers, there is a price to pay. Swigs of strychnine and poisonous snake bites can be deadly. Have you lost congregation members to snake bites? We lost system 62. And then we lost one last December, this past December was a year ago. Chapter 16 in the book of Mark calls for God's followers to handle serpents and drink poisons. Some see it as the ultimate proof of their faith. For those unfamiliar, all this may be too bizarre, but at the Church of the Lord Jesus in Jolo, it has been this way for some 40 years. Like coal mining, religion here is passed on from one generation to the next. For these people, it's a way of life that's timeless, as timeless as the Appalachian Mountains they call home. No one was sleeping in that service. No, you know, that is something. I mean, yeah. I don't think you'd go to sleep. No, if I would not. If they're passing not. rattlesnakes and copperheads around, I am not going to sleep. Yeah. I'm going to keep my eye on those snakes. Yeah. I'm like that guy. I had a friend years ago, an old man, who said, I'm only afraid of two kinds of snakes, live ones and dead yeah, ones. Yeah, that'll get them both. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's, that's yeah. me. Uh, and and uh, there's a question in the chat room, are they drinking poison too? Yes, they do. They drink strychnine, or at least they claim it's strychnine. I don't know how watered down it is, but they do drink poison, they claim, and are not hurt by it. Now, 
That leads us immediately to the first question, Jacob. Okay. Why do some Pentecostal churches, not all, by all means not all, this, they are in a very distinct minority, why do some Pentecostal churches believe and practice snake handling? Does the Bible ever mention such things? Yes, it does. And, of course, many of our responders have gone to the passage that talks about it in Mark chapter 16. In Mark chapter 16, uh, Jesus was with his apostles after his resurrection before his ascension to heaven mark 16 beginning about verse 14 says afterward he appeared unto the 11 as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen and he said to them go ye into all the world preach the gospel to every creature he that believeth that is baptized shall be saved he that believeth not shall be damned And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And and if they shall drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Yeah. Those are the final verses of Mark chapter 16. We began reading at verse 14. So the answer to the first question is, yes, the Bible does talk about that. In fact, there, there and several mentioned that and maybe suggested it's the only place that mentions it. There's actually one other slight reference to the idea of handling snakes. The fulfillment of the, of the prophecy? Yeah, the, sort of the fulfillment of the prophecy. You may remember in Acts chapter 27 when Paul was on his way he was on on a ship taken as prisoner to rome and they shipwrecked uh, before they got there and they landed uh it, it says it's actually acts 28 isn't it uh maybe it is, yeah, it, is. It, 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 it is acts 28 they landed on the isle of malta uh or melita it says the king james says melita acts 28 verse 1 they knew that the island was melita the barbarous people showed us no little kindness this is acts 28 verse 2 where they kindled a fire and received us, everyone, because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out from the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Yeah. So there's there's a reference to what Jesus said would happen right. among believers in the time to come after he ascended to heaven as they went about preaching the gospel. Now, that was a different outcome than what happened to this preacher in West Virginia. Yeah, this guy wishes, he wishes that that had happened like with Paul, but it didn't. And isn't it ironic and sad? And I think one of our respondents, uh, Ed from Paris, Tennessee, says that he extends sympathy to the family of this man, and and certainly we would too. Let's see, what did Ed say there? Uh, uh, He said... uh, my sympathy to the family man who was bitten, and I think that's exactly right. Uh, it is a sad thing, based upon what I think is a serious misunderstanding of the promise that Jesus made, and that's what we've got to investigate. Um, Ed goes on to say there are two important principles that this man and those who practice snake handling in the name of Christ have overlooked. One, it's not a promise to all believers. While some apply Mark 16:17 to those individuals whom the apostles would convert, the context makes more sense if we see verse 17 applied to the believing apostles who would be able to do these signs. They had not believed in the resurrection, and Jesus needs them to be believing so that they can do the work of preaching and baptizing believers described in verses 15 and 16. The context, verse 20, assures us that they did become believers and did the work Jesus left them to do. The signs that would follow, verse 17, are the same signs that accompany and con- the word of the apostles, verse 20. This is consistent with Romans 15, 19, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Hebrews 2, verse 4. We should not deny that certain non-apostles had ability to do miracles. Stephen did, Acts 6, 8. Philip, Acts 8, 13. Barnabas, Acts 14, 3. Were also blessed. But this power came through the direct contact of the apostles, and in the absence of anyone meeting the criterion of apostle, Acts 1, verse 15 and following, we should not presume that the Holy Spirit is still confirming his word through such means. Um, I think that's right. I think the, the the 
promise there was for a purpose. There were going to be signs, Jesus said, that would follow the believers, among them casting out devils, speaking in tongues, taking up serpents, and drinking poison and not being hurt. Now, uh, Ed emphasizes that the the apostles were primary in this work, although he suggests others did do it as well. I, I would agree with that. We don't know. There's no other reference to snake handling anywhere other than that episode where it happened to Paul by chance. Mm -hmm. I don't think they handled snakes in a religious service like the one we saw in that video. There's no indication that they ever did that. They weren't, they weren't, he goes on to say, this was not an excuse to test the goodness of God. And I think that's right because that's what these people in West Virginia were doing. They were testing God basically. Right. Because even though the apostles demonstrated an ability to survive snake attack, as in Acts 28 with Paul, we have no record of them tempting God in this way or encouraging disciples to do this as proof of their faith. Handling snakes in the manner of the Appalachian Pentecostals is a prideful testing of the power of, of God. This is exactly what Satan was trying to get our Lord Jesus to do in Matthew 4, verse 6. While Jesus had the assurance of God's protection, Psalm 91, he knew and taught that we are not to test the Lord this way, Matthew 4, verse 7. Right. In the context of Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, the blessings that God has already given should be enough evidence of his love and care for us that we accept in faith. In this sense, thanksgiving is the test of faith that he gives us, not deliberately handing venomous reptiles. All right. I think you're. I think Ed's all right on with that. The, 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 they, and so the follow-up question is, are they misinterpreting the scriptures when they do this today? And the and the answer is yes, absolutely yes. Guest one ninety one in the chat room makes an interesting observation. They are so strict with the snakes, I mean, in a strict interpretation. Yet when nothing is mentioned in the New Testament concerning musical instruments, they are liberal. So why not be liberal in their usage of animals? Not why, why not venomous spiders, crocodiles, lions, bears, etc. Yeah, so if they can take the liberty with the uh, instruments. They could take liberty with well, uh, speci- other dangerous things. Oh, I get it. He's saying yeah. since they specified serpents, they don't pass Wait, around. Tra- they don't pass around tarantulas. Say, he didn't say not to. He didn't say anything about scorpions. Yeah, or crocodiles. But since he specified snakes, they stick with snakes. Yeah, since yeah. he and but they wouldn't use that same argument when he right. specified singing. They wouldn't stick yeah. with singing. We saw in the video they're playing all kinds of musical instruments. Well, it's a party in there. Well, yeah. we'll take your thoughts on the other side of the break. Uh, get in line. Uh, get on the phone. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we will hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Here are some quotes worth pondering. The door of opportunity has always been marked push, but lately some seem to expect it to open by remote control. If patience is worth anything, it must endure to the end of time, and a living faith will last in the midst of the blackest storm. Man, I wish I'd said that. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The Virtual Bible Study continues. And we're back on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Uh, We're talking about uh, snakes on the program tonight. Uh, What's your favorite snake? Let us know. (laughs) Maybe not. Uh, Let us know what you think about these guys handling snakes. What do you think? Should we be doing what uh, Jesus said would happen in Mark chapter 16? Should we be handling snakes? Um, in the chat room, they've gotten ahead of us to 1 Corinthians 13, which is a text. You all hang on in there because we're going to get there too. You're welcome to talk about it. We'll get to you in a, in a little bit. But we want to talk a little bit more about the misapplication of Mark 16, which is the verse that they reference to justify their snake handling. But notice, Jacob... These were signs that would follow the believers. And then 
It tells why these signs existed. Verse 20, they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Now think about that. Here were these apostles and these early Christians going around preaching a brand new doctrine, different from what anybody had heard before, and they're saying, this is from God. Right. Now, that being the case, they needed some badge of authenticity, some proof that what they were saying was true, and the miracles served that purpose. Yeah. We saw it. We saw it played out in that episode in Acts 28 right. when the right. serpent bit Paul. In in Hebrews chapter two, uh, beginning verse three, the Hebrew writer says, "How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to His own will." Notice. Things began to be spoken by the Lord. It was confirmed by those who heard him. God bore witness. God said, yes, this is from me with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. So that's what the signs were for. They were to confirm the revelation of God. And these people needed it. We don't need it today. As we'll talk about here in a little bit, we have God's final and confirmed revelation. We don't need to be confirming his word today. But... These folks are wrong. Let's read our emails, Jacob. All right. Uh, James uh, from Columbia uh, said, uh, why do some believe the Pentecostal churches, why do some Pentecostal churches believe and practice snake handling? Does the Bible ever speak of such things? He says, yes, Mark 16, 15 through 20, as you referenced earlier. Are they correct interpreting the scriptures this way? No, they are ta- not taking all of the teaching about the spiritual gifts into consideration when they do this. Mark 16 is not the only place containing teaching about spiritual gifts. For example, the idea that the gifts were intended to help confirm the word being preached, such as found in Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, is not taken into consideration. And that is true. We no longer need the scriptures confirmed. Just as we no longer need Jesus confirmed, Jesus worked miracles in order to confirm the word that he was preaching. And John tells us that uh, those miracles were recorded to prove that what he said was true to us even today, just as Paul taking up the serpent in Acts 28 teaches us that he was teaching the truth. We don't need other people to pick up serpents today. It's already been confirmed. Exactly right. Chris in Atlanta, who sent us that link on YouTube, he says, beside the snake handling, there's so much that could be said about these, quote, worship services I cannot judge a man's heart, but it sure appears they're more interested in gaining that feel-good feeling yeah. than worshiping God. Yeah. Yeah. He says, uh, then, then he quotes an article from the, the, the Holiness Snake Handlers official website, official Holiness Snake Handlers website. He says they use Mark 16 and Acts 28 as their justification. He says they also drink poison. Here's a quote from that website. He says, take my opinions with a grain of salt. I believe in a literal interpretation of Mark 16. To those who don't believe what I believe, you have your beliefs and your opinions, I have mine. Pray to God to see that he reveals to you that this is the truth and wait for further instructions by him as to what to do next. If you believe that Mark 16 literally has truth in it, then do as you see fit, provided that it is within God's guidelines and that it lines up with his word, the Bible. If you so much as believe that this interpretation of Mark 16 is correct, correct, and is the purest interpretation, you will already stand a chance of having your faith in the Lord become enhanced. The rest is up to you. Everything comes by faith first, followed by good works last. That's kind of interesting that he's saying, uh, you know, that he, he's saying it is a test of your faith. Do you believe or not? Uh, does, uh, it says, are they correct? Uh, Chris says, no, the intended audience in Mark was first century Christians. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm afraid. He mentioned about the, they're gaining a feel-good feeling. I'm afraid they may be confusing an adrenaline rush with the Holy Spirit. Well, I mean, there's is. no doubt they come out of there on, on some kind of emotional high well, it, after doing that. It, it is emotionalism for yeah. sure, gone to seed. Uh, let's see, uh, we've, we've talked about what Dan Daniel sent in. We've read Ed's uh, reply. About, let's see. Uh, Wait a minute, Ed, Ed's, got, Ed's got just a little bit more here on that first question. Uh, I think you read it all. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Uh, Chris, in the U.K., uh, the problem they have is that they base it only on one passage and a disputed passage at that, which is Mark 16, 17, and 18. Um, The the, the idea that it's a disputed passage, I don't think uh, I would necessarily take that uh, line of argumentation, though. 
uh, that uh, this passage shouldn't be in the scriptures. This, the, the, oh, is the, that what he's? Yeah, some people say yeah, that the so last I mean, verses of Mark 16 right. maybe don't belong in the text. I, I believe that there's proof that there that it it does belong there. Whole books have been written on that subject. Mm-hmm. By the way, I have some in my library, but uh, I, I believe Mark 16, the last part of Mark 16, belongs there. Uh, but he's saying it is potentially disputed. All right. He says but, the verb believe in Greek is uh, the aorist. Uh, the aorist, uh-huh. uh, whatever. Tense. That, whatever it, that word. If you want to pronounce it, you can. I'm not going to try it. It's, right. it's the Greek word for believe. Okay. Which uh, refers to those who did believe, not to those who would believe at the time, at that time or in the future. That's interesting. I don't think that, I, but I, I'd have to disagree a little bit with that conclusion. He's he's saying that since the the verb in Mark 16, 17, these signs shall follow them that believe is in the aorist tense. Aorist means past, completed. It's not, it's not ongoing. It's finished and done. He's saying that that, that, that promise only be, be, pertained to those who already believed when Jesus time. said that. But that's not, that can't be true. Because the Apostle Paul, for instance, was not a believer at the point that Jesus oh, said true. that. That's he, true. He believed much later, and yet he still had those same miraculous signs. He was the one who got bit by a snake, and it didn't hurt him. So I, I would have to disagree a little bit with that conclusion. All right. Uh, appreciate uh, Chris for weighing in on the program tonight. All right. Now, uh, let's, let's, let's get into this a little more thoroughly. Again, we think the Pentecostals are wrong to handle snakes. We think they're misapplying Mark 16. The promise was not for all believers. It was to specific ones who were going to be in the process of re, uh, of having God's truth revealed through them, and this was confirmation of the message that they were preaching. One of the ways that uh, I, I think I've heard it illustrated before that I think is real helpful, confirmation of something. Right. If you ever had to have a certified check, maybe you're going to go buy a used car or something, you got to have a certified check. In other words, you go to your bank, they write a check, and they verify that the funds that this check is drawn on in the bank are there. In other words, they confirm this is good. This is a good document. Okay. Once that's been confirmed, it doesn't have to be confirmed again. Uh, confirmation once completed is not n- – no repetition is needed. And so when God had finished his revelation to mankind and had confirmed it, then the signs that were intended for confirmation weren't needed any longer. And so we believe that's one of the arguments for why miracles don't happen in the world today or miracles not be performed by men in the world today. All right. Why don't we get into that argument as we get uh, on the other side of this week's bullet point. And uh, hopefully we'll have some listeners who want to weigh in on that. The chat room is busy, too. We haven't paid much attention to that. We probably need to go back and get some of those arguments. You know, I, I, I handled a snake not too long ago. Oh, did you really? I did. I did. Our cat killed one and drug it up on the front porch, and my wife said, come up here. you got to handle this. I can't. So I had to throw it out. I, I've actually handled a live snake in my yard. I've got some garter snakes in my yard, and I've actually handled them. But I didn't think I was, was the beneficiary uh, of miraculous promises. Uh, you might have been dancing around, though, while you had them. I didn't like it. Okay. Because I told you earlier, I don't like snakes. Okay. But, but I did handle it. All right. We're going to take a break, and we'll get your comments on their side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Consistency is a key to success in almost any endeavor. In business, in school, in athletics... In fact, in every conceivable realm, consistency is fundamental to achieving success. We submit that consistency is also vital to success as a Christian. There are some who go through periods of high interest and energy. For a time, they will attend every assembly. They will speak to their neighbors and co-workers about their faith. They will actively pursue every possible opportunity to do good and serve the Lord. Then, without apparent cause, these same people will enter into a period of almost total indifference and apathy. They stop attending Bible classes. They frequently miss the worship services. They have no interest in personal work. They stop growing as a Christian and show signs that they are actually becoming much weaker. Folks who exhibit these hot and cold cycles in their service to God will not be successful in the long term. The lukewarm results of their inconsistency will not please the Lord. Read Revelation 3, verse 16. We need to be, quote, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. We emphasize always abounding in the work of the Lord. Christian, are you consistent? That's this week's bullet point. 
Think about it. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back on the program tonight, reminding you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, and you can podcast a recent sermon if you'd like to listen to some of the truths that are presented here at uh, the College View Church. If uh, you would uh, look at our website, you can find out more information about how you can podcast a recent sermon. We're talking about snake handling on the program tonight. It is an interesting phenomenon that some believe that they should still be doing this. And Dave in the chat room poses the question, wonder what his death, that being the preacher who died earlier this week or last week, Wonder what his death suggests to his followers. He wonders if it suggests well, that he had a lack of faith. What did it, and his own father died, right? I mean, by a, by a snake bite. If if, the, if this said, and Mark sixteen was pretty explicit. It yeah. said that it's, you're not going to get it harmed. Will not hurt them. Yeah, it said. Let, let's read that again. It, said, it didn't say it might not. Uh, says uh, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing. It shall not hurt them, you know. So the promise is, it's not going to. But it did. It, it killed his dad. It killed his dad. He and might, it killed him. You think he might lay in bed and think, you know, I wonder if dad had that figured out right. Yeah, you, you know. Uh, we may well, need to rethink and, this. And thing. in that video we watched, that church member mentioned, yeah, we've lost a couple church members here. Yeah, got, we got bit by snakes. Yeah, come there. on. Yeah. All so right. there's a disconnect there between reality and what they're what they're preaching and practicing. They they, they claim the the literal interpretation. Well, uh, you know, that's not even right. I believe in the literal, literal application of those verses in Mark 16. I believe it was literally right. true for the people to whom it pertained. You may, maybe they, they believe in the universal application. Or the ongoing yeah. uh, practical application of Mark Anthony 16. was wondering the same thing about that Dave was wondering, and he figured uh, they must say a lack of faith. But the verse they use for this practice doesn't say anything about the magnitude of faith. It just says believe. So, yeah, it doesn't look like you'd have to have, like, superhuman faith or, you know, Extraordinary faith, according to Mark 16. Um, and so uh, there you go. All kind of things going on in the chat room, Jacob. Somebody's giving you some uh, advice as to medication to use for your poison ivy. Oh, I like that. I'm going to have to look into that. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, let's, let's look at these answers from email. Does the Holy Spirit empower men to perform mir- miraculous deeds today? I ask if your answer is yes, give examples and proof. We didn't have anybody who answered yes. Now, there's plenty of people out there in the world who believe that. But among our listeners, nobody took us up on that challenge. Nobody that we're we're talking to tonight apparently believes in current day miracles performed by men, such as that West Virginia Pentecostal church. So we go to the other part. If you believe that the Holy Spirit is not empowering men to work miracles today, what's your proof from the Bible? James in Columbia, Tennessee says, number one is... 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 and following. That's the key text. When that, when that, referring to the complete revelation, was done, the necessity of spiritual gifts was over. Let's go to that. Several yeah. in the chat room have mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I, and I agree. That is the text that nails it down. Right. Let, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning verse 8. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, stop there for a minute. He's talking about some miraculous things. We understand prophecy was divine revelation. Uh, tongue speaking. Speaking right. in tongues that you'd never studied before, as they did on the day of Pentecost. That was a miracle. It says that the prophecies would fail and the tongues would cease. And it says knowledge will vanish away, and I believe there that the knowledge is divinely inspired knowledge. Right. In other words, you knew something, God just put it in your mind. You didn't have to study and learn it. And it says that's going to vanish away. He goes on, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. Remember, this Paul was speaking, This First Corinthians is one of the earliest books in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. When he was writing this, the revelation of God was just coming out. I mean, they were getting it in bits and pieces. They didn't have the whole thing that they could bind together in a book like we do. They were getting it in bits and pieces. He says, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now, you got to stop there at verse 10. What is that which is perfect? The Pentecostals want you to believe that the perfect is Jesus and the miracles are going to continue until Jesus comes. But the context denies that. The, the perfect or complete 
is the contrast to the partial, which your previous verse just described. Right. The previous verse described partial knowledge, partial prophecy, and it's contrasted with the perfect or complete. When the complete knowledge, when the complete prophecy has come, then the partial shall be done. That which is in part shall be yes, done away. Okay. Don't take, in other words, when the revelation is complete, when we've got everything God wants us to know, this is going to be these partial things, these miraculous gifts are going to be taken away. He says, uh, I, I knew as, when, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. He says, he actually says there that the, the use of these miraculous signs was for the infancy of the church, mm-hmm. not for the mature church. But he says, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. Some people think that means when we get to heaven. It's not talking about heaven. It's talking about now. When, when, when the complete revelation of God was made known, now I'm able to know myself just as God knows me. Do I want to know what God thinks of me? I can know that by reading the, the complete revelation of God's will. I can know as he knows me. I can know, I can know how he evaluates me. He says, now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Notice, faith, hope, and charity were going to abide, but the gifts were going to end. I think that's another argument that proves he was talking about the end of spiritual gifts, not the second coming of Christ. When Christ comes a second time, we won't have faith and hope anymore. That's why charity is the greatest, because it's, it's going, going to endure. endure even beyond the coming of Christ. That's right. Uh, you can reference uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 24, to show you that hope will vanish when Christ appears. And you can reference Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, uh, to show that faith will disappear when Christ comes the second time. And so it cannot be talking about Christ. That's the that's the, that's the, the, the pat answer you'll get from someone when you use this argument. Oh, well, that's talking about when Christ comes again. And that can clearly be shown from the from this context that it does not uh, apply uh, to Christ. And in the chat room, uh, they're making those arguments as well that it, it the the context demands that uh, the perfect be the Word of God. Uh, Dave says uh, what they're doing does not demonstrate faith in God. In my opinion, it just shows a daredevil attitude, much like something else, da- much like doing something else dangerous. Uh, he says. Uh, notice that in the video it was accompanied by music and so forth, which heightens the sense of in- excitement. Uh, guess 191 says, with that passage, many will say that which cannot refer to Jesus because Jesus would be, would not be referred to as that. Yet in 1 John 1 verse 1, that which does refer to Christ. Yeah, sometimes that argument is made. That which is perfect, is uh, it can't be Christ because... It, it, it wouldn't say that which it would say he who is perfect is come, and, but I, I agree with uh, yes one ninety one that I don't think that's a really strong argument to prove what is the perfect. I think the the the, the strong argument to prove what is the perfect of First Corinthians thirteen ten is the context. The perfect or complete is being contrasted with the partial of the previous verse. The previous verse says we know in part, we prophesy in part, but a time's coming when we will have perfect knowledge and revelation, then these partial things will be done away. I think the text explains itself very good there, I guess, 191. Yes, and uh, also, I see uh, uh, Henry, uh, or Chris, in the chat room. uh, No, I'm sorry, Dave references the perfect law of liberty, and that's uh, that's a a linkage you need to make with James chapter 1. Talks talks about the perfect law of liberty, but also uses the imagery of looking in a glass. So uh, we see, we see as we're seeing. And James was a later epistle, right? Uh, First Corinthians, as we said, is one of the very earliest of the epistles. So you see a contrast there. All right. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, The the line is open. We'd love to hear from you on the phone. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Um, Some more. I don't think we've got anybody who's handled snakes uh, here, but uh, let us know your thoughts about them. And I don't think we probably have anybody listening who would agree that this is the right thing. But if we do, we'd love to hear from you. In answer to the question, does the Holy Spirit empower men to perform miracles? Uh, Chris in Atlanta says uh, signs and miracles were for the early church as confirmation of who Jesus was. Now that we have the complete word of God, we no longer need these signs and miracles. I believe he's right. Uh, John 20, verses 30, 31, gives the reason for miraculous signs. 1 Corinthians 13, 10 states that when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. I agree with Chris. Uh, Daniel in Pennsylvania. No, Daniel's in Vermont, isn't he? I, I think so, yes. Yeah. He says, uh, he quotes 1 Corinthians 
13, 8, James 1, 25, John 20, verses 30 and 31, all verses that we've already mentioned. So everybody's on the same page here, which is great. He says, these scriptures point out that the old law is dead. The new way is Jesus dying for us, Galatians 5, 3 through 6. Otherwise, if we believed in miracles, then we should live by the old law and do animal sacrifices too. Miracles were done through the Holy Spirit by a human. Miracles were part of the old law. I don't agree with that. Um, Certainly, miraculous things happened in Old Testament times, but miraculous things happened after the church began too. Plenty of them began after the church. Plenty of them happened after the church began. So miracles in the New Testament were for the infancy of the church while God's New Testament revelation was being made known to mankind. There were miracles in the Old Testament, plenty of them. There were miracles in the New Testament among Christians, too. Acts chapter 8 would prove that. Yeah. So, okay. All right. Um, And uh, Anthony in the chat room says uh, that could indeed mean Christ. He says that's not a valid argument. That which is perfect could mean Christ. Yeah, the, the argument that I've heard some of our brethren make when that which is perfect is come, then that which is done, in part should be done away. I've heard some of our brethren argue that can't be Jesus because it would say when he who is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. But I don't think that's a strong argument because I think grammatically it could refer to Jesus. It's not referring to Jesus. I'm just saying don't use that argument there. And you don't have to use it. You don't argument. have to use that argument Uh and I don't, and I think it'll backfire on you if you do. So don't use that argument in verse ten. That which is perfect can't be Jesus because of the grammar. That which would be He who is, if if it was referring to Jesus. That's not. I think that's a, a bogus argument. Yeah, Make the argument that which is perfect is the completed revelation. The reason we know that is because it, the perfect complete, is being c- contrasted to the partial in the previous verse. It's it's. The illustration I've seen used before is the you got part of a pie. All right, what's the whole of the pie? The part is of the same nature as the whole. Mm-hmm. In verse nine, you got the part, which is partial revelation, right. partial knowledge. It's right. it's revelation he's talking about. The whole or perfect would be of the same thing. He's talking about revelation, right? Not talking about Jesus, talking about the completed revelation of God's word. Right, and also you could also combine that with verse 13 because uh, those who believe in this will also believe uh, that verse 13 is telling you what things are going to be there when the perfect come, and then you can clearly show them that they're not going to have those things if it was Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Verse 13 proves that it couldn't be Jesus because faith and hope will still exist after the perfect comes. Therefore, we still have faith and hope. We've got the perfect revelation. We still have faith and hope. If it was Jesus, we wouldn't have faith. We wouldn't need faith anymore, and we wouldn't need hope anymore. We, faith would be dissolved in sight. Hope would be gone in in, in fulfillment. Yes. Uh, so we don't need it. Uh, we've got Ed in Paris, Tennessee, who says, The miracles done through the power of the Holy Spirit were to confirm the testimony of the men who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. They left us their written testimony, Second Peter 1, verses 12 through 21. So there is nothing new for the Holy Spirit to confirm. And did you get hit, uh, Chris? In, no, we need his answer, Chris too. Uh, says he's not empowering people to perform miracles. The day has come. That day has come to an end. God's revelation is complete, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10, 2 Peter 1, verse 3, James 1, 25. There are no apostles living on earth to lay hands on people and impart miraculous power, 8, Acts 8, 14 through 17, 19, 5 through 6. No one is living on earth on whom an apostle has laid his hands. In order to impart miraculous power, since God's revelation is complete, there is no need for miracles. Since no apostle is living on earth, there is no way to impart miracles. Since no one is living on earth on whom an apostle has laid his hands, there is no one to work miracles. If there's no need for miracles, no one to impart miracles, and no one to work miracles, then there are no miracles. Also, the signs do what they say on the 10. They point to God, uh, who is doing... To, to what God is doing and its new law. They were in three batches of time of Moses, Elijah, and Elisha, and the apostles. They set up the law, the prophets, and the church for the gospel. Okay, that, I, I, seen, I have not heard that last point made that he's making there, but I think he's, he's spot on uh, when he's saying, think about this. The, the apostles received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit, by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1 and 2. Nobody is being baptized by the Holy Spirit today. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, say there's only one baptism. Chapter 5 proves that's water baptism. Nobody's being baptized by the Holy Spirit today. There are only two recorded instances of it in the New Testament, with the apostles in, in Acts 2, Cornelius in Acts 10. 
So you can't get the, the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit by Holy Spirit baptism. The only other way people got miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit by laying on of the apostles' hands, Acts 8, as Chris referenced, verses 14 through 17, do a perfect job of illustrating that the apostles could pass on spiritual gifts by the laying on hands, but nobody else could. Right. The apostles are dead, so there's you can't be baptized by the Holy Spirit today, and you can't receive the laying on of the apostles' hands. There's no way to get miraculous spiritual gifts today. Even if we needed them, we wouldn't have a way to get it. But the but the key to that is we don't need them. Right. Because we have God's completed, confirmed revelation, we don't need it anymore. All right. And finally, Chris in Atlanta says, Signs and miracles were for the early church as confirmation of who Jesus was. Now that we have the complete word of God, we no longer need these signs and miracles. John 20, verses 30 and 31 gives us reason for miraculous signs. And 1 Corinthians 13, verse 10 states that when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. And so we appreciate those comments from Chris as well. Time for our break, and then we go to the top of the hour. You're going to make another uh, challenging question to us about prayer. Yeah, if, if there are no miracles, is what we're, the conclusion we're coming to. If there are no miracles, then why, pray, why are we praying? Now, if we get somebody sick and we pray for the sick, why are, we pray, why are we praying if we don't believe God's working miracles in the world today or that men are not empowered? When we get the, let's make sure our terminology is right because sometimes people will, will uh, have a question about our terminology. If, if God is not empowering men to work gifts of healing, for instance, as he did in the first century, then why are we praying for the sick? Okay. 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Tonight on Channel 8 WSIN, it's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again. Guess what? I just cheated on my husband. He doesn't even know about it. (laughs) And then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard. You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock, it's the show that Television Magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8, WSIN. I'm Greg Gwynn reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 1.28. Be careful what you watch on television because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin and it's never funny. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. According to the World Health Organization, in the year 2010... 154,048 people died every day. That breaks down to 6,419 every hour. That's 107 every minute. That's 1.8 people dying every second. Again, that's according to the World Health Organization. With those stats in mind, remember the famous words of Jesus in John 9, verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about uh, snake handling. And should we be doing it today? Well, more uh, generally now we're talking about miracles and do they still occur? And you posed the question before the break, if miracles aren't occurring, what's the benefit in praying? All right. It's a stumper there. Henry P. in the chat room says that we're instructed to pray without ceasing, first Thessalonians 5, verse 17. Um, Some of the answers we have, uh, James here in Columbia, Tennessee, says the work God does and has done is completely different than the miracles man performed. Man performed miracles to confirm the word they were teaching. God has told us to pray, James 5, 13 through 16, and has promised that our prayers are effective. Through faith, we believe his promise. So James says we do it because God told us to do it, and we pray in faith. But, but when we pray, I think one of the keys is we're not praying for a miracle necessarily. Right. I mean, not at all. In fact, I would think it would be wrong to pray for God to perform a miracle when his word has told us that he's not do, going to do that day. Let's say that a loved one died, Jacob, and I prayed that God would raise this lo- dead, lo- dead loved one from the dead. 
I'd be asking God to do something he said he's not doing anymore. And so for me to pray for a miracle would be, I think, uh, contrary to what the Bible teaches. Now, I can pray for things that God does through his providence. Uh, I can pray for the sick to get well. I'm not praying for God to use a, a miraculous form of healing necessarily. I'm asking for God to use natural means, the body's own healing properties, the medicines and the treatments that doctors may prescribe and apply. Uh, so I can pray, but I'm not asking God to do a miracle because I think the Scripture says that he doesn't perform those sorts of miracles in the world today. All right. Interesting. Uh, Ed says, I suppose part of this has to deal with what we define as a miracle. The signs and wonders given for the benefit of confirming the word to unbelievers were a different of a different nature from the miraculous gifts that were given to edify the body, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. It is not through the working of men that God promises to do such thing as heal, but through himself, James 5, 13 through 16, but only if he so desires, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Praying to God for healing is a privilege for believers, and it increases our faith. Interesting uh, take on it there from Ed. Well, I think what he may be hinting at is what uh, uh, I've, I've talked at length with Aaron in Singapore uh, along these lines. He's saying we don't always know what God is doing behind the scenes that we can't see. In other words, is he is he is he doing things that wouldn't have happened naturally behind the scenes? He's causing things to happen that would not have happened naturally. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a fine point. It's a rel- relatively fine point. Uh, but from from my point. I'm saying that God is not doing things that we can visibly confirm as supernatural. Yes. That God is working through what I believe the way to describe it is God is working through natural means to bring his will to pass. He's He's not doing visibly observable supernatural things in the world today. Right. Uh, Chris in Atlanta says, we do not ask God for miracles, but we are commanded to let our requests be made known to God and give thanks. I believe that prayer is as much or more for our benefit as God's. God works providentially, but not miraculously anymore. When we pray for others, it helps us to love others. It's hard to harbor ill will in your heart for someone when you're praying for them. Which is uh, interesting. Interesting comments from Chris in the U.K. First of all, uh, we are, there are numerous occasions commanded to do so. Secondly, how can you have a relationship with someone whom you never talk to? Also, if you could have an audience with the prime minister, that would be uh, in Chris's case, or the president in our case, you would never refuse it, and God's influence is infinitely higher in power, infinitely stronger. That is interesting. Okay. Would you, if, if President Obama said, uh, you can call me tonight, would you, uh, I'll catch that tomorrow. If let's you know, some of us have been troubled about some of the political developments on moral issues. You know, abortion's been in the news. Homosexual marriage has been in the news. If President Obama called you tonight, Jacob, and said, "I want you to come to Washington next Monday, and I'd like to sit down and talk with you about what you believe on these subjects," man, I'm going to go. Right. I'll find a way to get there. Right. You know, if I can have an audience with the president on something that I think is really important like that, I'm going to go. Right. Uh, and so I think Chris has an interesting point. I, I believe he's exactly right. We're commanded to pray. It, it is for our relationship with God to maintain a strong relationship with God. And we believe that God answers prayer. You know, in James chapter 5, we're encouraged to pray. And it says there in James chapter 5, Elijah was a man subject like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth for the spaces three years and six months and he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit and this is to prove what he said just before that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much Mm -hmm. so he said he's using elijah as an example now i think and again my friend aaron in singapore may differ with me a little on this point but i think elijah he prayed what God do? He used a natural process. God used a natural process to cause it to rain. He didn't. He didn't cause it to rain supernaturally. If you remember that episode in First Kings chapter eighteen, he sent his servant. Said, "Go look." And the servant went and he said, "Don't see anything." He, he sent him again and again. Finally, he said, I, "I see a cloud coming up from the sea, like like a hand." And Elijah said, "You go tell Ahab. He better get home because he's fixing to rain." Right. Hadn't rained for three and a half years, but mm-hmm. it did. Well, how did it rain? It rained by water evaporating from the sea, coming over the land and dumping its its water on the land. 
a natural process. So I think James is encouraging us to pray because God uses natural processes to answer our prayers. We call it providence. And I believe that is a fitting description that God uses his providence to answer prayers. Certainly prayers are beneficial. Dave in the chat room says, where does his word tell us that he will not perform a miracle? Isn't any interpretation, any intervention on God's part a supernatural event? Even if he brings it, uh, event, if he bring, and that's the point that Aaron in Singapore has made with me. If God does something, that if He intervenes, you know, He may be doing something behind the scenes that that is not natural, or His very intervention is not natural. And and I think that's a fine point of of issue. What we're saying is God's not doing obviously supernatural events. He's not changing water to wine. Men are not walking on water. People who have never walked, lame from birth, and suddenly they can jump and leap and run like they did when Jesus healed them. Dead men being raised from the dead after being dead for four days like Lazarus. Those kind of things are not happening. Those were obviously verifiable supernatural events meant for confirmation. God's not doing that anymore. Okay. Now, I'm not saying God's not active and working in the world, and, and behind the scenes he may be doing things that would not have happened in, in a natural progression. Right. But he's not doing the miracles of the type we read about in the New Testament that were meant for the verification, confirmation of the word. Dave uh, concludes, much of our discussion regarding providence and miracles is a matter of semantics, in my opinion. And there may be some of that in the discussion. Um, and uh, he says it's often in reaction to the charismatic. But, but he agrees with us, and this is the right. point. Men right. do not perform miracles today. Right. And he says he prays often that for God to heal people. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Daniel in Vermont says James five fifteen and following. We pray because we're commanded to. First of all, uh, miracles were done through the Holy Spirit. Prayers are heard and answered by God. Isn't always and isn't always answered according to what we necessarily think, but what we need in God's eyes. I consider myself a righteous person. I would think I would pray. If I don't, then am I truly a righteous person? All right. Okay, I think we've got all our emails on that question, and I think they're good. I think they're on point. I think we've answered the question that we put out there, Jacob. We asked the question, why are the Pentecostals handling snakes? Why was this guy handling the snake and he died Sunday? Because he misunderstood, misapplied Mark 16, verses 17 and following. It wasn't for him, Uh, and and it proved it wasn't for him. He got bit and he died. If that was for him, then... Mark 16, 17 says he would not have suffered from the snake bite. He would have been like the Apostle Paul who got bit by a snake and it didn't harm him. Right. Since it did harm him, the, the reality proves that his interpretation is wrong. I think it would have to. I, yeah. don't know how you, I don't know how you get in, around that anyway other than just say he was wrong in his interpretation. Yeah, exactly right. So okay. like, it's a sad thing, but it, it, it is a learning opportunity for us to properly understand the scriptures in regard to this business of miracles. All right, before we conclude tonight, uh, we've got a special service. There's a couple special services coming up that we need to tell people about. June, June 18th and 19th, less than three weeks from now, June 18th and 19th, just a little over two weeks away, on a Monday and Tuesday night here in Columbia, Tennessee, at the Woodland Park. Everybody in our area knows what it is. We can send you a map if you're not from our immediate area. At Woodland Park at 7 o'clock on Monday night the 18th and Tuesday night the 19th, we're going to have what we call Bible studies in the park. We did this last year. Mm-hmm. We're going to a different park this year, for those of you who may have attended. We're going to Woodland Park, and we're just going to have some Bible studies in the open air. Uh, Scott Smelser from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, who was on the virtual Bible study with us a few months ago, he Jacob. Was. We were talking about child rearing. He's going to come and do both nights on that subject. Mm-hmm. I think it would be really good for parents with children, but good for us all to be reminded of the truths of God's Word in regards to our families. That's June 18th and 19th, the Monday and Tuesday night, just a little over two weeks away, 7 o'clock each night at Woodland Park in Columbia, Tennessee, Bible Studies in the Park. And uh, if you're one to come from uh, from far away, let us know, uh, and we can get you some directions and get you that. You know, maybe Chris in the U.K. wants to come. I wish he could. Yeah, it'd be great. Uh, all right. Well, that's uh, that's a wrap for tonight, and uh, good discussion, Dad. Thank you for your time tonight. Thank you, Jacob. And Jeff has been behind the boards with a cold tonight. And, Jeff, uh, thank you for being here for your time. And thank you for joining us on the program tonight. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. 
We hope you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.